The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke, chapter 13, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig round it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, church. How wonderful it is to be with you in this space today. I hope you're all well. And welcome to those of you who are online as well. So first question, do you have a favorite tree? Anyone? Favorite tree? What makes it special? I certainly have, yeah, yeah. I certainly have a favorite tree. And perhaps we can tell each other all about our favorite trees when we meet for coffee afterwards. Would that be good? At school, we have these things called godly moments. Our junior school chaplain, beautiful Melissa Gustafson, uh, has encouraged the students to look for moments where they see God at work. And so they'll bring in little heart-shaped leaves or they'll bring in the photograph of a sunset. One child brought in a beautiful little story the other day saying, my sister is my godly moment. Isn't that beautiful? I had a godly moment on Ash Wednesday. We'd had services in the morning and we'd um, told the children all about um, Ash Wednesday and how we got the palm crosses, etc., and the ashes during the week. And on Ash Wednesday at lunchtime, I go down to junior school and under a tree we gather and we have the imposition of ashes. And I'm very careful to reiterate to them that the ashes come from that palm tree, a palm tree like that where we used to strip the leaves, make little crosses on Passion Sunday, and then the next year we'd take those that had then dried up and burn them and crush them, and those would be the ashes that we would use for the imposition, just in case they got them confused with any other kind of ashes. Well, the children are entranced by that, and so they gathered up, and we very, very reverently did the imposition of ashes either on their arms or their heads. And we, they came in waves. And during a lull in a wave, I was sitting talking to a couple of the young girls, and I kid you not, from a palm tree, a little fragment of a dried leaf must have blown off and landed in my bowl with the ashes. 
uh, that you can see in there, that's my palm cross actually from here last Sunday. I have a stash of ashes I've had for a good many years because we don't actually have palm crosses. So I don't know what I'm going to do when I run out. Stuart, I might call on you. Um, but it landed, in, you can hardly see it, but it's just uh, to the right of it, there's that little fragment. And if you look closely at the photograph, you can see it's almost the splitting image of the bottom of the cross. Of course, the children were, that's a godly moment. So the camera came out and that's it, right there. The trees play a very significant role in uh, the Bible. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from that tree of life in the Garden of Eden, right the way through to those beautiful cedars of Lebanon and a myriad of other trees like the palm tree, all the way through to the cross itself in the Bible. And the fig tree. The fig tree from our story today. The fig tree is used approximately 84 times throughout the Bible. It's indigenous to that Middle East area. And of course, there are various different varieties of fig tree around to um, like, you know, the Morton Bay fig tree. I mention all these things because I'm very reluctant to get to the first part of the reading today because it's just yucky. But we'll get there, shall we? In the first part of today's reading, Jesus is in conversation with a group of people, people whose focus on the reason why a number of their compatriots from Galilee were killed. Firstly, Pilate had apparently bumped off a bunch of them for no apparent reason, and they were up, the Jews were up to sacrifice in Jerusalem, and these, these Galileans had been killed, and their blood was mingled with the sacrifice, and why did they die? And the second was the Tower of Siloam. Eighteen of them crushed by the tower. And in their understanding, the people, those particular people died because they, they had sinned. They were the worst of sinners. They deserved, and that was their lot. And Jesus says to them, uh-uh, no way. No. You got it wrong. That's not the reason why they were killed. And then he says, but you, repent. Well, that's, how, that's what will happen to you. Makes no sense, does it? Makes no sense. That word repent is very interesting. Stuart preached on it some time ago. And I'm just going to re remind you of what he said. We think of repent as turning away from, saying sorry for, cutting out, um, doing away with. But the Greek word is this word. Metanoia. There it is, metanoia. And the word metanoia in this context is very hard often to translate the word that was used in ancient Greek into one word in English to describe it fully. And so we have to contextualize the way the language was used into our contemporary understanding of English. And metanoia is described as the transformation, a transformative change of heart or a change of mind. Metanoia, transformative change of heart or a change of mind. Now, cast your minds back, those of you who are old enough to, to the late 1980s, er, uh, yeah, 1980s, early 1990s, 
when a man called Stephen Covey came on the scene. Anybody remember the seven habits of highly effective people? Yeah? So he told a story in that book which actually was a transformative godly moment for me. Jesus is saying to these people, repent, have a change of heart, have a change of mind. That's what required of you, or you're all done for. Stephen Covey tells this story. He said he remembers being in a subcar in New York, um, an underground subway car in New York. And on a, on a sleepy Sunday morning, in the car were a group of people who were either reading the newspaper or they were lost in thought or they were dozing off. And I suppose if, they, if it was in contemporary Australia, they'd be you know, going through their cell phones and checking the social media. But it was quiet and peaceful. And he recounts that into this quiet, peaceful car came a man with his children. And the man came in and sat down next to Stephen. And Stephen describes the children as loud and rambunctious. Loud and rambunctious. And he says they started running around, flicking the newspapers, making a noise, throwing things. And he says, and yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everybody else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time. And he said softly, oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. He goes on to say, can you imagine what I felt like in that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly I saw things differently and because I saw differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was filled with the man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Your wife just died? Oh, I'm so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. Stephen Covey had, we, you know, we talk about this, this season of Lent being leaning into Lent. What Stephen Covey had done was to lean into the backstory of the man to listen to what was going on in the hidden spaces of another's heart. And that's really important. When we come back to the fig tree, which is the second part of that story we heard today, it's a parable. 
Now, you've got to love parables, right? You've got to love parables. In our pre-preps, we take godly play to them. And what we do is we um, bring the parable in a box. It's in a gold box. Because a parable is a treasure which needs to be unpacked. And the gold is a little bit tarnished because it's very old. And yet it still contains deep treasures. And that's what parables do to us. They are interpreted differently depending on how subjectively we come to them in, in our state of being or our time of life at that time. But they're gold, literally, in terms of what they can offer to us. Your interpretation might be different to mine. But today, I'm going to ask you to imagine the parable with me. Here's the landowner. He had a vine and he had a fig tree. He must have had a little bit of money and a little bit of ground. And I can imagine the landowner and the groundsman deciding to take a seasonal walk around the property and just check on things, what needed to be planted, pruned, clipped, etc., etc. And as they walked around, they get to the fig tree, and the landowner says, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find nine. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? Cut it down. Get rid of it. And the groundsman says to him, let's just give it one more year. And he pledges to dig around the tree and to fertilize it. Just like Stephen then was able to gently dig around and hear the backstory. Now, of course, my research has told me that sometimes fig trees take between three to five years to bear fruit, so that might have been a reason why the fig tree wasn't blossoming, was not bearing fruit. There are all sorts of reasons why that might happen. Another interesting fact I found um, in my looking at fig trees that I didn't know before, I hadn't realized, although I love figs, is that the fig tree does not have a flower that opens so much that the fig grows out of the flower like it does on most other fruits, the flower itself is inside and becomes the fruit. So the blossoming happens inside. It happens inside. Now, there are different varieties of figs, and so there might have some blossoms that I can see, but the fig itself apparently um, just has a little sheath, and the flower grows inside, and then little wasps Fig wasps come in and fertilize it from the inside. You can go and check up more on that if you like. But I thought that was quite special of Jesus to have been able to figure that one out in the fig tree because he's saying it needs a change of heart, it needs a change of mind, it's an inward change. When we look at the folk who were at the um, asking Jesus the questions, he was saying to them, look at it differently. Don't look at it from your perspective and think, oh my goodness, I better not sin because otherwise I'm going, to be, I'm going to die, you know, God's going to punish me. Look at it from the other's perspectives. Look at what the story is about, what happened there. 
And there are different versions because we don't actually know in that particular sense. Some biblical scholars have said that perhaps there were people, there were Jews who were protesting against the Romans and the Romans decided to, to get rid of them. Some biblical scholars have said that, well, perhaps the Roman soldiers, because they were concerned about so many Jewish people coming up to sacrifice, had sort of infiltrated the group with Roman soldiers posing um, as Jewish people, maybe, who knows? And maybe they had been killed that way. We don't really know. But that's not the point. The point is getting, a getting into the backstory and having a transformation of heart rather than judging the superficial of what we see on the outside of things. That's what's important. And how often do we judge from the outside? How often do we do that? I had a wonderful godly moment of transformation last week and I would really like to share that with you a little as we end. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. If we don't, if we judge from the outside and never really get to know what's happening on the inside, it causes fragmentation. It causes separation. It causes conflict. People stop talking to each other. People start getting cranky with each other. People start warring with each other. And it can just explode. And we know that on a macro space that we can, as the students, as the children would say, ghost our friends that have got in our face or family members that we don't like. We have this fabulous doctor. Man, she's been so good to Frank and I. She really has. Just taking such great care of us. She's so gentle. She's an astute doctor, knows exactly what's going on. We love her to bits. Last visit, we go to her and she says, by the way, I just need to let you know I'm stepping down from general practice. My reaction? That's wonderful. That's so good. I'm glad that you're starting a new adventure. Thank you so much for all that you've done, all that you've given to us. Inside, I'm going cranky pants and, oh, no, now I've got to go and find another doctor. Oh, what? how can you do that to us? No way. No way. Now we have to find somebody else and build a whole new relationship again. Oh, that's what's going on inside. Cranky pants at. Last Sunday, we're going home from church. And just up the road from where we live, we live on the school property, basically. And as we were quite close to our house, I noticed a colleague of mine running across the road to a man lying on the pavement on the side of the road. So I said, Frank, stop, 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 stop. And I got and ran across, and here was this man lying there. He was breathing, but not responsive. By that time, another couple of people had come across, and they'd phoned the uh, emergency services. And as we gazed down on this man, we could see from looking at what was there in front of us that he had a little packet with him, so we assumed that he was, he was homeless and on the streets. And he had a phone in his hand, which I could see flashing with messages coming in. So I took the phone, thinking maybe he's tried to phone emergency services, etc. And as I picked the phone up, it rang. So I answered it. And it was a friend of his. And I was able to say, look, um, this is what's happened. Your friend is lying here on the side of the road. We've called the ambulance folk, but can you tell me his name? 
and he gave me his name. And suddenly things shifted. Here was a person with a name, with a space. And I'd finished talking to that fellow, and as we were waiting for the, for the uh, paramedics to arrive, I wondered about him. I can't imagine that he would be a man who said, one day I'm going to leave school and pursue a career on the streets. And I thought about what had gotten him to that place. Had something or somebody or a system let him down? What had happened in his life? Had, had he been failed in some way? And there were a thousand different possibilities in that moment. The ambulance arrived really quickly. The paramedics got out and came across to him, opened a little bag, and there was all his drug paraphernalia in the bag. And it was then that I remembered the backstory of my doctor. She said, I'm leaving general practice because I would like to go and work a little bit more with those living with addiction. Cranky Pants Anne was out the window after that. The backstories of people are so important. So important. And when we know that, we can understand people better. We are far more forgiving. We understand why the behavior is the way it is. It might irritate the heck out of us. But there's a reason for it. And Jesus is saying in that moment that you need to be life-giving and not life-denying. I always remember our bishop saying, God is a God of second chances. And that's what it's about. And so in that godly moment, I offer it to you, saying, thank you, God, for those moments where we can help and share the lives of others. And I certainly resolved in that moment to do something for those living with addiction. Where are your godly moments? Where are you leaning into the back stories of the lives of others? Amen. Would you like to stand as we sing out?